It's time to get inside the Giants huddle. Huddle up, huddle up, huddle up. On Giants.com. Here we go, here we go. And the Giants mobile Get them in there, let's go. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Welcome to the newest edition of the Giants huddle podcast. John Schmoke with you. We continue our preview of the NFL draft with Sean O'Hara and David Deal. But first, a reminder, you can find the Giants Huddle Podcast on the Giants Podcast Network, presented by Investors Bank at Giants.com slash podcast on the Giants mobile app and on your favorite podcast platforms. Joined by David Deal, I am John Schmelk. As we take a look at the edge rushers that are coming out in the 2021 NFL Draft, and Dave, this is a group that has a lot of interesting prospects, no necessarily any sure things like you had with Chase Young's, the Boses, and players like that in the past? No, I mean, this is a group that where you're seeing now pretty much all the edge rushers and defensive ends, you see starting to slowly trickulate into the 11s, the teens, and later into this draft because it's so heavy right now with the quarterbacks and wide receivers and offensive weapons in front of the draft that I do think that there still is a lot of value in these players but I don't think they're going to go off the board, like you said, like previous drafts. You know, this is an area of my expertise, playing offensive tackle in the NFL. This was something that I did throughout my entire career, breaking down pass rush moves in the, and breaking down the run game and ways to attack these players. And it's an exciting time for to see these developmental players that are going to excel at the next level. And you hear a lot of names. I'm going to go in order. Aziz Ojolari. I think that he is the best Defensive end coming out of the draft right now. Outside linebacker, if you want to say based upon scheme fit. But I think, number one, obviously when you lead the SEC and tackles for a loss, sacks and forced fumbles, and you are going up against competitive offensive tackles that are going to be drafted and are going to be playing in the NFL, it says a lot about your makeup and the speed that you bring to that game. Dave, I don't want to interrupt you. I apologize. But all I see on tape from him is that swipe, that rip, and that shoulder dip, man, all day long getting around that edge. And that's exactly where I was going to. His first step and get off remind me of Osi. That ability to jump and get off on the snap and get that first step. He's already on the shoulders of offensive tackles. And he has the ability with his flexibility and his lateral movement to really dip and bend that edge and to give, number one, a small surface area for the offensive tackle to hit. But two, we all know that when you're able to bend that edge and what we see in drills, run that hoop and not lose any momentum, if you don't punch him right as an offensive tackle and you don't punch him down into the ground, you're actually redirecting and building momentum for him into the quarterback. He does a great job of using that speed, but the problem is you don't see him like other players bouncing around and overrunning it. He levels off. He starts to press back into the offensive tackles. Great length to get the separation. He, as I said, he doesn't give up a lot of surface area to offensive tackles. Violent with his physical hands and punch and run and pass. Versatility because of his size. You can move him around the defensive line on opposite sides. And as you said, that swipe, the wax on, wax off move, that's something that you've seen him being able to do by being able to time up the offensive tackle's hands. And that's something that you have to do to excel at the next level in the NFL. The one area where I think he has so much speed that he relies on it too much, that he does have to get that secondary pass rush move and he can start working more that speed because he gets offensive tackles so far back and on their heels and start converting it into power and then flatten out. Like I said, when he does that, if he can flatten out the pressures and the amount of movement that he's going to get in the pocket for the quarterback to get off of the spot 
is something that I think intrigues all NFL defensive line coaches as we sit here and watch. Jalen Phillips, I think he's a smooth pass rusher with obviously tremendous upside. He can bend, run the hoop on the edge. Great hand usage. You see the swipe or the arm over. He'll dip and swim because he's 6'5 and has the size to do it. He's a player that does convert speed to power. He can stack and shed at the point of attack. His backside pursuit is A++. You see him run plays down, and that's one reason why he has the 15 and a half tackles for a loss in 2020. His motor is constantly going, and not many players can run it down on the backside. That's one area where a lot of people have asked me, when, who is the toughest player I played up against? DeMarcus Ware. Any other team that we'd face walking up to the line of scrimmage? Okay, who's the mic? Who's the mic? Whenever we played the Dallas Cowboys and DeMarcus Ware, okay, where's 94? Because you can't have a tight end on him. You can't have a running back on him. And you can't leave him unblocked on the backside because he'll run it down. Jalen Phillips brings that to his game. He's got to play with more consistent leverage because he is 6'5". He's got to play with his pads lower. He's got to set up his secondary pass rush move more and work to the inside. That's something that he can do much better in this game. It's not only just the arm over. He can start working spin moves. He can start using that length to his advantage. And an area of another area of concern for him is the injuries. A lot of concussions at UCLA and his time at Miami. He's broken his hand. He's had wrist surgery. He's had hand surgery. And I know as an offensive tackle, that defensive end's putting his hands out there. I'm chopping. I'm swatting. I'm looking to grab. I'm looking to get him off of my body. And that's something that you have to worry about and consider. But my favorite that I love watching on film, Quiddy Pay. Quiddy Pay is an absolute beast when you watch him. He is an ass-kicking leverage machine because of his size, his power. You see those elbows always in tight, shooting him inside. He's explosive out of his stance. He is great to, with quick twitch and lateral movement. You see him able to be able to either penetrate and jump a gap or read a play to the backside and being able to force it to the other way. Plays with a lot of natural leverage, body and hand placement and control. You always see him placing his hands where he can control an offensive tackle and really work that edge and not expose his body because he is a smaller guy. Once again, with all defense vents, diversity in his pass rushing moves, kind of countering things. You know, when he gets bogged down and he goes for that power move and initially gets stopped, he almost gets bogged down and it's like wasted movement. He's got to come up with that secondary movement to continue to add pressure. And he struggled versus the zone read. Instead of anticipating, there's a lot of hesitation and allowed some balls either to jump outside or to bounce to the inside gap for an extra two, three yards. But I love his makeup. I love what he brings to the game and his athleticism. And, and I think he's going to be one of those key players. Later in the rounds where I'm thinking like maybe third round, where I think that there's a player that can be had there that not only fits a 4-3, but fits a 3-4, Rashad Weaver out of pit. I absolutely love him. Plays heavy-handed, powerful at the point of attack. Plays with balance. His feet are always underneath him, so he's not off. You don't get him knocked off on double teams. He's able to sit, anchor, and get a knee down. Huge strength, size, and length, so that he's not only at 6'4", 260, where he's playing defensive end, you can move him into the three technique. You can find ways to create mismatches for him to where he can get that pressure on the quarterback. He's got to play with more consistent leverage and jumped inside when he should contain. Sometimes he'll see a gap and he wants to get excited and make a play. 
He'll go to jump inside and the ball gets bounced outside instead of maintaining gap control. That's something that comes with more experience and just understanding of what his role is and not trying to do too much in the defense. Dave, two guys I want to ask you about. Jason Owe is an interesting player because he tested just off the charts at, at his pro day. Like for a guy that's 260 pounds to run a sub four, four is just not, you can't even think about how ridiculous that is, but he had zero sacks last year, <laughs> which is just an amazing number. How, when you look at a guy like that, when I watched him, I thought he was just trying to win off the edge all day. He really didn't have any moves per se, which makes sense. He didn't start playing football till he, I think his junior year in high school, he was a basketball yeah. player. So just your thoughts on a guy like Owe, when you look at him, how much of a project is he, and when would be a good time to roll the dice in a guy like that? See, I know a lot of people get so infatuated with the speed, the size, the strength, 6'5", 257, 437, 40, 39 and a half inch vert, 21 reps of, of 225, absolutely explosive first step, disruptive, freak athlete, tremendous length at the point of attack. You know, he has a swipe move. He'll swipe hands. He'll chop and rip through. Uh, I'm sure that you love my demonstration. Oh, they're great. I love it. He'll chop and rip through. (laughs) He has inside and outside moves. He'll do a good job of setting up an offensive tackle, thinking he's going to work wide and jump inside. But as you said, eight career starts in college. And speed to power is something that we have not seen him do in college to be able to convert that, which is such an added benefit for you if you are a speed rusher, because then you have an offensive tackle worried, okay, he can beat me on the edge but he also beat me with power as well. I think that right now with as intriguing as it is, he's not a polished product. And if you're really looking to get a player like him and give him the tremendous upside, it's going to take techniques and fundamentals and coaching. And it's going to take some pitch pitch count here. It's not like he's going to be an every down defensive end for you. It's got to be, make sure that it's situational, whether it's a third down, whether it's a two minute drill, those are great things to have on your team and on your defensive end. But not in the first round if you're going to reach and grab him right away immediately. Now, here's another guy. is Gregory Rousseau. He does not have a ton of starts. He opted out in 2020, but he had 15 and a half sacks as a, as a sophomore. Yeah. He was another guy that did not play defensive end until he got to college. He was a wide receiver who had like 6'5 yeah. and 260 pounds. I mean, just my goodness gracious. And a lot of people, Dave, has said they remind him physically of JPP coming out with his long arms. But if you look at his testing, but more importantly, look at his tape, I don't see the same athletic burst that we saw with JPP as a guy that had to block him in practice. Your yeah. thoughts on that comparison and on Rousseau generally? Yeah, because he's a, he's a long strider. He's not as explosive as JPP was. You know, he's got great length to keep separation. He's got room to grow. He's 266. He's got that 6'6 frame. He still has eight weight that he can add on to it. He's got active hands. And where he was most effective in his college game where when they were running stuts, where he was running TEs, ETs, scraping off of blitzing linebackers. Uh, He was able to cover tight ends down the seam and running back in wheel routes, but that wasn't his specialty. Obviously, that was something that was added on to it. But for me, I'm not sold on him because he doesn't consistently rush with leverage and bend on the outside. Sometimes get those shoulders up, exposes his body and his numbers, and gets controlled with that first initial snatch by an offensive tackle. His base and length, leg strength to anchor and balance. Once he does, gets through a hole or when he's trying to get through to another part while working inside moves, sometimes he doesn't keep his base and his feet get too closed and allows an offensive tackle, even though they're beat, to restart and redirect his rush because he doesn't have his feet underneath him. 
once again, one-year starter. I, I, this is a player, as you said, has, hasn't played a lot of football. He went into Miami. He sat out this year. I honestly believe what sitting with those players that have somewhat of that same grade, whether it's first, second-round grades, I honestly think Carlos uh, Carlos Basham and Joe Tryon would be better and a more of a fit to fit the NFL game than Rousseau would. Okay, so you just mentioned it, a couple second-round options for the Giants. Dave, you don't have to go into full detail on all of them, but who are some of the names of guys that the Giants don't go edge at 11, but to your point, not sure the value of those top three guys match at 11, right? If they want to wait until the second round, who are the guys that you would keep an eye on if you're a Giant fan? And, and do you agree, with, by the way, that maybe 11 would be too rich for the guys at the top of this class. I, I do. I think 11 is a little too rich for the guys right now in the class. I think that this is something where you can get value in the second round and even possibly in the third round based upon this is an area where there is, is depth at the edge position where it's completely different when we're talking about nose tackles and defensive tackles. So I do think you can wait. And for me, like I said, I love Carlos Basham out of Wake Forest's film. I have him at a second, third round grade. Very athletic for a size, 6'3", 274. He's another player, ran a 4'8", 6", but he looks faster on film than 4'8", 6". Understands how to use space and to create leverage. That's something that he does very well. He knows how to get an offensive tackle wide. He knows how to get him inside. And he's very slippery with his pass rush moves in order to do it. He works the edge, works inside. Good hands, but not great hands. That's an area where he needs to improve. Needs to be able to shock more and be able to stun offensive tackles to get their feet to stop to work that secondary move. And he may not be as fluid as, you know, away or, or any of these other guys, but man, he has some creativity and can really get after the passer. So I think that in the second or third round, he may be one of those players that can be sneaky good for the New York Giants organization. Folks, remember, he might have played offensive tackle, but he spent his whole career studying edge rushers and had to beat them. So listen to what David Deal has to say when it comes to the edge class. Limited Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seat starting at just 100 bucks. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Hey, Giant fans, get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with the Giants branded debit card, security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants member FDIC. And Dave, today we're going to take a look at the guys in the middle of your defense, those off-ball inside linebackers and those big old defensive tackles. The Giants losing Dalvin Tomlinson in free agency, so maybe they might look to get a replacement there at some point. But Dave, for the guys that play inside on this defensive line, it's not the deepest class. Who are the guys that you like that are going to be those run stuffers? Let's start with that group first. You got it. As you said, this isn't the deepest class for defensive tackles and interior nose tackles, but there are a few good players that are going to be out there. Problem is, is they're going to be the first ones gone, and it's going to be a rush to get these guys if they are available. Let's start at the nose tackle position. Aline McNeil out of NC State. You know, some people have a third-round grade on him. Powerful hands and strength to reset at the line of scrimmage. Very strong and explosive out of his stance to dictate the tempo at the line of scrimmage. But the problem that I see out of him is his length to shed when hands are not active. When he doesn't use his hands and when he doesn't get good hand leverage, he doesn't have the strength to blow through a blocker and to create separation. And he has a problem of recognizing down blocks and double teams. That's something at the nose tackle position that you better be able to understand because that's all you're going to get in the NFL game. For me, I think the real 
defensive tackle. If you're looking at three technique, obviously it's Christian Barrymore out of Alabama. Powerful hands, strength to move, plays violent, strong, absolutely disruptive, not only in the run game, but in the passing game. He's another one. Double hand swipe, double hand swipe to the side. He'll club as he's getting your body weight going one way. You know, the one thing that I worry about is inconsistent get off. Sometimes he guesses at the line of scrimmage. He has some, some offsides penalties. That's something that you can't allow to happen on when you're sitting there looking at the football in your stance. And the other thing, conditioning. We all know when it comes to a big player and you're over 300 pounds, when his conditioning later in games was down, he led to inconsistent pad levels, gave his up numbers, started to give up movement at the line of scrimmage. But I think that he is probably the best defensive tackle, I think, coming into this draft. Davian Nixon out of Iowa. He is another player that I think that can really excel at this level. At, at Tatsa, uh, with leverage, holds off double teams and can two-gap, plays with natural leverage, you know, 48640, 1.70, 10-yard split, so we know that he can get off and really split those gaps and split double teams. But my problem is, is vision through the offensive line to the running back. Sometimes he waits too long at the line of scrimmage to shed and to make pursuit to get to the running back. And one other area, you can't loaf on the backside, my man. You've got to play every play through because sometimes if you're loafing as the three technique on the backside and you're not playing with that backside pursuit, all it is is one cut-up angle and that run that should have been stopped at the line of scrimmage is now getting to the second level. That's an area that he definitely needs to improve in as well. By the way, folks, Dave, show him the notebook again. For the folks that think Dave is reading off some kind of draft guide or something like that or some <laughs> internet notes, no, 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 no. Dave watches these guys. Those are his own notes based on what he's seen on tape who have tried to block these defensive linemen his whole career. All right, let's go to inside linebacker, Dave. And, and the consensus yeah. number one player in this class is Michael Parsons, who – With good tested, reason. <laughs> yeah, with good reason. Tested off the charts. Uh, I don't think his first and second down role is in doubt at all. Sideline to sideline, takes on blocks, shoots gaps, hits the hole, not afraid of shedding blocks, does all those things. So before we get to his, what he's going to do on third down, just talk about his elite play on those in those early down situations. Yeah, I mean, he plays with a tremendous amount of football IQ and vision, and he's able to diagnose things pre-snap. That's something that you have to be able to do right away at the linebacker position. And it's not only him. You see him communicating to the rest of the defense based upon that pre-snap recognition and getting everybody on the same page. I think we've seen great linebackers like Luke Keekley do that in the NFL and Excel and how it makes everybody better around you. That's something that he brings to his game. You know, some of the areas that he does need to improve on is making sure that he's more physical taking on blocks. Sometimes he works around them and it gives up space and it gives up an extra gap. And the other thing, we all know with the linebackers, when you're coming to the NFL level, you've got to do better job of taking coverage angles and pursuit angles when you're working in coverage. But we know that when you play linebacker, especially in today's game, you better be a three down linebacker. Yeah, Dave. And it's funny you mentioned that he was a defensive end in high school. Yeah. So he didn't play linebacker a lot. And as you well know, to your point, that's the last thing that kind of comes along for linebackers doing mm -hmm. those right, being in those right passing lanes when you drop into zone, making those reads and all that stuff that usually comes last. But the good thing for Parsons is that he's so good at going after the quarterback. You might not even want him covering on third down. Anyway, you're just going to use him like the bucks use Devin white and say, dude, go get the quarterback, whether it's blitzing inside or even coming off the edge. 
Yeah, I mean, that's one of the great things. We've seen him ripping off of the edge in two-point stances. We've seen him being able to blitz down the middle or letting the, the inside stunt, whether it's a TE or ET work, and then split through him again. <clears throat> he has the absolute athleticism to get all of those things done. And that's one area where you talk about the, the fluidity of him and still having to possess some of those coverage skills. He's an unbelievable worker. Everybody talks about his traits and the way that he approaches the game. So you know that this is an area that he'll continue to improve. And that versatility of whether you just want to put him at the line of scrimmage and say, go and use him as a spy and force a running back to try to take him on or to drop him back in coverage. Those are weapons that every defensive coordinator would love to have on their side of the ball. And at 6'4", 245 pounds, is not some small 225-pound no. linebacker either. This guy is, is a man amongst boys at the college level playing linebacker. So no really good player. And he would fit right, right next to Blake Martinez extremely well, by the way. Then he would take over for Blake once Blake obviously uh, ends his career, whether he moves on or retires or whatever. Yep. Um, if they don't want to go Parsons in the first round, who, by the way, I think would certainly be in the mix at number 11. If he, even if, if he even gets there, he could be the top defensive player in this draft. Dave could be the first guy off the board on defense. But if you want to wait a little bit later, who do you like from this next group of inside linebackers and off ball guys? You have Zayvon Collins from Tulsa, who I think is pretty good. Uh, Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa. Is he a linebacker though? Maybe he's a strong safety. I That's don't know. The, the this... That's the thing that you worry right. about because with him, obviously explosive athlete has the range, the instincts, all the pre-snap diagnosis hits with power. He'll take a, he'll run through offensive players, causes forced fumbles. You put him on a special teams, he's an absolute missile out there. You saw him making plays for Notre Dame all over the field. One question with that 211 or 221 size, finishing tackles. That's one area taking big down backs was one area struggled. And will he be able to take on blockers on the interior? I know for myself, whether you're running a 4-3 or a 3-4 and you're getting that bubble and you have the gap between the center and the tackle and it's uncovered, these are the guys that you want to attack to see if they can hold up for four-plus quarters. So it is a question. Is he a tweener? Is he a safety? Is he a linebacker? How are you going to try to utilize him? And then for me, like you said, Zayvon Collins out of Tulsa, this reminds me of Dante Hightower completely. Huge body, 6'4", 259, 4'6", long arm, physical, and has the potential to be great because of his size, his weight, his speed, he can get off of the edge if he, if you put him in a 4-3 and he can play that weak side. Or you can have scheme versatility where you have him as an inside 3-4 linebacker because of his size and being able to hold up. That's the way the New England Patriots use Dante Hightower. And I'll tell you what, after those games, each and every one of us that had one-on-ones had headaches walking away from it because of the thump that he would bring. That's what type of player he is as well. One area where he needs to improve takes the cheese too much in play action. You see him get anticipation and excited trying to make a play, takes two false steps up, and now all of a sudden they're able to get over the top with a tight end or a wheel route. That's an area where he needs to improve, and he has an area of breaking down in the open field of, and having some missed tackles. He's got to make sure he gets his feet underneath him instead of just trying to use his athleticism and size in order to take people down. And then you have guys like Jimin Davis, Bolton, um, some other guys that people do like in the second or third round, maybe Jabril Cox, the transfer to LSU. Yeah. Anyone else in that group, Dave, whichever one of the guys you like the best that you think could really fit what the Giants do, what group? What of that group do you like? You know, uh, Jasmine Davis out of, uh, out of Kentucky is an intriguing prospect. 
you know, great block block recognition, shoots gaps. He doesn't have those false steps like I was just talking about with Zayvon Collins. He has his feet underneath him, can close, run sideline to sideline. You know, once again, is a guy that I see maybe second, third round type of talent. Some people have him in the first, but the reason why I don't have him in the first, you see him more of a zone coverage linebacker compared to being a man linebacker. He struggles sometimes when he's in man, one-on-one up against tight ends and running backs, and he's only a one-year starter, so he's not as polished as some of these other linebackers. Dave, excellent run down, my friend. We appreciate the time as always. Thank you, Johnny. Don't miss it on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giant Games and world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giant Suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com suites for more information. The 2021 draft is almost upon us. Joined by Sean O'Hara, I am John Schmelk. Today we'll take a look at the defensive backs, some of the faster guys to operate in space on the defense. And Sean, the good news for the Giants here, especially after the signing of Adoree Jackson in free agency, what a lot of people thought was a big need, that second outside cornerback, with all the safeties on the roster, the Giants are in pretty decent shape at defensive back, though you know how it goes with injuries. You can never have too many of those guys. Yeah, no doubt about it. You've got to have some depth, but I think it's been a remarkable turnaround, John, because a year ago we were talking about, boy, this defense needs help. Um, you know, the Giants had one of the worst defenses in the NFL, couldn't get off the field on third down, giving up big play after big play, um, and couldn't get after the quarterback. And yet when you look at the way the Giants defense played in the second half of the season last year, Without a doubt, the secondary was the strong, strongest point of that. Um, obviously, Leonard Williams uh, did a great job getting after quarterback. But, man, this the secondary with James Bradbury, that addition with the Logan Ryan signing um, during training camp really solidified the secondary and I thought just gave them all kinds of versatility. So right now, sitting pretty with the, the Adoree Jackson signing because you had your, your starting corners on the outside – um, I think Darnie Holmes really did a nice job. I mean, for a fourth round pick, John, you never know if they could come in and contribute right away. Um, and he certainly did that. Um, I think, you know, the other pleasant surprise too was Xavier McKinney. You know, unfortunately he got hurt in training camp last year, missed the first half of the season, but man, when he showed up on the field, he started making play after play. And every single week you could see his growth, uh, both as a player and with the rep count, with how many snaps he was getting. So I think the Giants are, are, are really sitting pretty right now. Um, that being said, there, there are some good corners and, and some, some stud safeties in this draft. So if there's a run on offensive players, and you know, if you look at, at this draft and everybody's mock drafts, I mean, it's offense, it's quarterback, it's receiver, it's tackles, and then you know, defense is kind of an afterthought. So there very well could be some guys uh, sitting there for them in the second round. Yeah, and Sean, the first cornerback off the board could be the first defensive player off the board, right? And the general consensus seems to be Patrick Sertan, J.C. Horn, the top two corners in this draft. They could be top 15, top 20 picks. And Caleb Farley, I think, was in that group too, but now a second back surgery. He had an ACL earlier in his college career as well. He's probably going to get pushed down to either end of round one or round two, I would think. Yeah, and, and I think you could throw Asante Samuel Jr. into that mix, although he's a little bit of a different physical specimen than those guys. But, um, you know, look at these, you know, if you rank those cornerbacks one, two, and three, Patrick Sertan, J.C. Horn, and Asante Samuel Jr., 
great pedigree. All, all three of them have dads that played in the NFL. So they've, you know, they've got it in their blood. I think what it's going to come down to with those three corners and, and really the top two picks with Sir Kane and JC Horn, people are going to have them graded one, two, but it's also based on what kind of scheme are each of those teams running. If you're playing a ton of man coverage, you know, what, what, what kind of coverage do you want that corner to play? Do you want him playing press coverage? Do you want him playing bump and run? Are you playing more zone cover three that could end up dictating who you end up taking, but no doubt Patrick Sertan is the biggest corner of this group. And I think when you just look at the length, the arms and, and his stride, you know, he, people compared him to Jalen Ramsey uh, from a, a physical prototype aspect. I think that that's very fitting. Um, he's very competitive. I, I think one of the things that you, you want out of your corner is there's no panic in him when the ball's in the air. And he can, he knows he can keep up with the fastest receivers. He did it in, in college football. He's not going to have an issue with it in the pros. Um, you know, just going stride for stride. He doesn't panic when he looks back for the ball. He doesn't grab. Um, he's very smooth from that standpoint. And I think that's something that, you know, a lot of teams really like about him. Uh, for J.C. Horn, you know, I, I think some of the similar aspects of it, he may not be as tall and, and, and as long as Sertan, but, no doubt he's just as feisty. Um, you know, I think when you look at, you know, if you're, if you're a corner of South Carolina, not just in practice, but every Saturday you're going up against some of the fastest dudes in all of football. And I, I think that he more than held his own. So, um, you know, for him, that's, that, that's something that, you know, I, I think he's not going to be scared of at all is the speed of the game and, and certainly getting to the next level. He's not going to be intimidated at all. And you talked about scheme fits, Sean, very quickly. Based on your scouting report and what I've watched as well, Sertan seems the perfect fit for that outside cornerback, play the sideline, cover three, be physical, long, bump at the line of scrimmage if you want. While J.C. Horn, he was the press man master. Now, maybe he was a little grabby downfield sometimes, but how many corners do you think would be able to guard Kyle Pitts? a 6'6", 240-pound tight end, and then another game, guard Elijah Moore, a 5'8", 5'9", 185-pound slot guy that's running all over the place. So is that how you see their two general roles and how you would best utilize them in the pros as well? Yeah, definitely, you know, the versatility of J.C. Horn, uh, you know, that, that definitely provides a different aspect. So, you know, you go to the scheme that you're going to, and then you also go to, all right, what are we going to ask this kid to do when he comes in, is he, is he coming in and immediately you're our starter or are we drafting you in the first round and we're going to work your way in? Because if you are, then you've got to have that versatility. And if you're not going to be the starting corner week one, you've got to be able to come in and cover the slot and you've got to be able to move around and, and kind of find your niche. So, um, you know, I think that that's, that's something that JC Horn would, would welcome because I think he's that kind of competitor. Um, you know, I, I think to throw one other name in the hat here, John, I, I think one guy that, has, has got to be kind of intriguing for a lot of people is Eric Stokes, the corner out of Georgia, um, running a, a 4 That kind of blazing speed just definitely piques people's interest. And I, I think, you know, who, who knows where he ends up going, you know, draft-wise. But if for some reason, he, you know, he doesn't get drafted in the first round, he's sitting there at the second round, and you've got a corner with that kind of recovery speed, that kind of acceleration. This kid was a track star. Um, you know, in, in, in high school and, and, and a sprinter. So he's got that, that great speed. Uh, he's a guy that I think some people could really be intrigued with.
And Joe Judge has those Georgia connections with Kirby Smart, having been with him in Alabama. I want to go back to Asante Samuel because you mentioned him as part of the first answer, Sean. It's funny. You look at his measurables. He's like 5'10", 5'11", 185. And you say, oh, that guy's a slot receiver, a slot cornerback, right? Then you watch him on tape. He looks just like his dad. I, it, it might be a cliche. The dude plays exactly the same way. He plays off. He baits quarterbacks. He drives on the ball. He gets interceptions. Like it, it, it's almost like they like didn't have a child. They just cloned the father and they just let him grow. And he's the same guy. It's amazing. Yeah, those those corners are dangerous, you know, because you, you can't always predict exactly how they're going to play different routes. And, you know, look, even hearing that name, it, it brings me back to offensive install meetings with Kevin Gilbride. And we're playing Asante Samuel and he's like, don't even look in his direction. We're not even going to throw the ball over there because you just <laughs> like he was too dangerous of a corner because even though maybe he's supposed to be playing this zone defense, he's reading the eyes of the quarterback and he just is ad living and he'll undercut uh, another receiver and take the ball to the house. And, and you're like, what the heck was that? You know, he was not playing the right defense from a textbook standpoint. So uh, he, I think he's definitely got a little of that in him and, you know, that, that type of aggress aggressiveness and willingness to take risk, it can, it can pay off a lot. Well, luckily Asante did drop a particular pass back in January of 2008, which were February we're all thankful that we're all happy about. Yes. <laughs> safety, Sean, if the giants are set at cornerback, they're certainly set at safety. Uh, Xavier McKinney's second round pick last year. They signed Logan Ryan to a contract extension at the end of the season. Jubal Peppers on the fifth year of his rookie contract. They have a lot of depth there. And, you know, safety is a position where you're not going to see many guys in the first round, but one guy that could go this year is Trayvon Merrick. Yeah, Trayvon, you know, has really done a nice job for himself uh, coming out of TCU. I think when you look at not just his ball skills and his ability, um, you know, he's got great hands, but not, not just his ability in the passing game, his ability to, to make tackles in space. And these are, these are big tackles. These aren't shoestring ankle biting tackles. I'm just thankful the guy tripped and went down and he's literally running through guys. Um, you know, he, he reminds you a little bit of Tyron Matthew, the way that he covers so much ground. So uh, I, I think that he's absolutely uh, the kind of guy that, that any defense would love to have back there uh, playing center field. Um, I mentioned he has some pretty good hands. He's, he's got some nice interceptions on his highlight reel. Um, he, he does a, a darn good job uh, of, of reading the quarterback and kind of anticipating where he's going with the football. For the Giants, this, this could be a, a, an interesting pickup if they happen to find themselves in a position to get a guy like this. And you mentioned the roster where the Giants are at. Drafting Xavier McKinney last year in the second round, um, you know, he could play all over the field and you could move him around. He's so versatile. They locked up Logan Ryan with a contract extension uh, this offseason. Jabril Peppers is the one guy that is kind of like, all right, you know, what are the Giants going to do with him? Um, he's going to need a new contract soon. And, and I think if you end up getting a guy like Trayvon Morig right now, you kind of give yourself that insulation, you know, if, if something uh, doesn't work out financially with Jabril Peppers. But um, you'd certainly, you know, a guy like that, man, I mean, I, maybe you don't even put a corner out there to start off if, if, you, if you get him and, and, and you compare him with those three safeties. All right, final question, not necessarily draft related, but I think this is one of the underrated defensive questions of the offseason that few people are talking about. When Patrick Graham got here, Sean, we all thought that he was going to bring that Patriot-style Bill Belichick 
press man blitz type of defense that you see in Miami that Matt Patricia tried to execute in Detroit and failed. And that Belichick is always used is in New England. But Patrick Graham got here, saw the talent on the roster. You didn't really have that second cornerback. And he transformed, maybe overnight's the wrong word, but relatively quickly into one of the zone heavier schemes in the National Football League. So I think the, the magic question for me, especially given you know these three safeties we mentioned who are all pretty good zone defenders, but now you have that extra cornerback. Do you think Patrick Graham is going to go back to his roots and go to a more man-heavy scheme this year? Is he going to stick with what worked so well last year with Logan Ryan's ability to disguise zones and things of that nature? How do you think Graham's approach to his past defense will change based on how the talent on, on his roster in his secondary has changed? Well, I think change is, is inevitable in the NFL. And I think we, we saw that firsthand, you know, watching this Giants defense change from the first four weeks of the season to the last. I think we saw a lot more uh, zone coverage from the secondary because the Giants did, did a good job stopping the run. And I think when, when you could stop the run with your front seven, now it opens up things on the back end. And now you can play with your safeties a little bit deeper and rotating. You can kind of play that game a little bit. So that was definitely something that, that, that helped Patrick Graham out with, with what he was wanting and, and, and able to do. I also think Blake Martinez really solidified just the, the mental side of that defense, getting everybody on the same page, making sure everybody was lined up. I mean, Blake was – you know, it wasn't just a tackling machine for the Giants. I thought he really did a nice job of making sure everybody was in the right spot. Um, Logan Ryan kind of became that extra voice in the secondary. And I thought the addition of Logan Ryan really opened up things for Jabril Peppers to really blossom. And now Logan could could do a great job of, of sliding back in coverage or taking the other side of the field and letting Jabril Peppers play more downhill. Um, that versatility really showed up. I would be I would be shocked if if we saw a drastic change, but I will say this: Adore Jackson loves to play man coverage. Yeah. So you've got Adore Jackson and James Bradbury on both sides, and neither one of them are scared to go against the number one receiver. Neither one of them are scared of, of the man to man matchup. Um, I think it just it gives you another option, and it gives you a much more aggressive option. Um, you know, obviously. Any defense coordinator will tell you that they love to blitz. They love to bring pressure. But if they can get pressure with their front four and they can sit back and play coverage, they're going to do that all day long. Sean, always a pleasure, my friend. We're drafts coming up very quickly. Enjoy the rest of your preparation. We'll talk to you down the road, all right? Thanks, Johnny. Appreciate it. That's another preview heading into the draft, which is coming up next week. For David Deal and Sean O'Hara, I am John Schmelke. As a reminder, the Giants Auto Podcast is part of the Giants Podcast Network, presented by Investors Bank. You can find the archive of this show and all of our shows at Giants.com slash podcast on the Giants mobile app and all your favorite podcast platforms, including Big Blue Kickoff Live, our daily show every weekday at noon, where we've been talking draft and NFL and Giants for almost 10 years now. For the guys, I'm Schmelke. We'll see you next time on the Giants Huddle.